0: Today by my co-host Laura Temmie. Hello. And Andy Leonetti, hey.
1: Hey, it's a SCOTUS end of term party. Sure is. <laughs> party time, excellent.
2: <laughs> I really appreciate that you're doing Wayne's World right now.
0: Oh, I'm glad you're pumped, Andy. I guess they saved the best for last, or at least the most contentious for last, is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely.
2: I'm assuming everyone has heard about the, yeah, oh. the the Dobbs abortion decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Since we sort of talked about that already in a previous episode after the leaked opinion came out, we're not going to really talk about that one too much. Mm-hmm. Surprise,
1: surprise. We were right.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, we kind of
0: were ahead of the curve on that one. Yeah, but it actually overshadowed a bunch of other ones that were pretty significant. So that's what we'll be talking about today. And
1: uh, I was just going to note a fun fact that I read was that some data nerd crunched (laughs) some numbers online. And apparently this was like the most procrastinating court (laughs)
0: <laughs> since the,
1: since the 50s,
0: does that mean that they just like didn't get to some cases at all, or they pushed everything? later? Yeah,
1: as in like they waited until they basically treated the whole last two weeks of June as a Friday news dump instead of just like mm-hmm. instead of just like saving the two most like controversial ones for the last day of the term. They're like, well, we've got like 20 <laughs> that we've got to get done. And,
2: and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there have been a lot of them that are (laughs) arguably either controversial or just unexpected, given previous precedent,
0: so... Well, also, according to the ACLU, which, to be fair, is not a politically neutral organization, um, this recent Supreme Court term was the most conservative in a century.
1: You don't say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just saying, like, I know that sounds like a loaded and biased statement, but it's not objectively wrong. Right, this is, like, the exact...
1: This is... Mm -hmm. The exact opposite of the Warren Court, pretty much.
0: I don't think anyone would dispute that Trump's three nominees really shaped that. So I don't think these are hot takes at all. No. And it should that should give you a little taste of what we're about to talk about. And this is going to be also we should mention a, a sort of two parter. We're covering three, um, three mm-hmm. big, big decisions today, and then next week instead of sidebar, we'll be doing three more. So uh, yeah, keep keep around for next week. We'll start with a case that's called Viga Vitico. And this is the case that apparently nobody knows by name, but everybody knows, as the case that they think got rid of Miranda rights. That sort of news has been blowing up all over social media, apparently because my non-legal friends keep sending me texts being like, they're overruling Miranda? That's not exactly <laughs> yeah. what happened. Um, SCOTUS hasn't overruled Miranda, not yet anyway. Um,
1: yeah, Give, give him time
0: <laughs> for sure. Because it's it's um it's definitely easy in the wake of like we said the Roe v Wade overruling to sort of get scared about SCOTUS putting everyone else on the chopping block. But it's it is important to know it's a little different here. So. To be clear, Miranda remains the law in criminal cases, but the court has now, in this case of Vega v. Tico, limited the ways in which police can be held accountable when they commit misconduct, so that includes violating Miranda rights. Now, remember that Miranda rights are very long established over 55 years ago uh, from the case of Miranda v. Arizona, which establishes that if you're a criminal suspect, you have the right to remain silent, that anything you say can be used against you in a court of law, that you have the right to the presence of an attorney, and that if you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed to you prior to questioning. And we don't want to spend too much time on Miranda because... Laura actually wrote a great case summary on it for Fine Law Supreme Court Insights. Yeah, we can link to that in the (laughs) show notes. But I'll just give a real quick recap. Under the Constitution's Fifth and Sixth Amendments, the Fifth Amendment, remember, is the Self-Incrimination Clause, and the Sixth Amendment is the right to an attorney. So under the Fifth and Sixth Amendments... That is sort of what established Miranda rights. And a lot of people know that the Fifth was involved because we literally say, I plead the Fifth, right? But a lot of folks might not know that the Sixth Amendment is kind of equally important in protecting a criminal defendant's rights. And they both kind of work together.
1: Um, yeah, that thing that we've said before on this podcast, if the cops want to talk to you, shut your trap.
0: Don't do it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And the other sort of misconception I just want to clarify is that with Miranda rights, a lot of people think that they are supposed to be read their rights in any interaction with the police. But that's not always true. Um, Miranda doesn't apply to every interaction with the police. The case established that for the warning to be required, two things have got to happen. You got to be in police custody. And, you know, what does that mean? That's always a question, too. So someone doesn't necessarily have to be handcuffed or in the back of a police car. There's situations where even if you like aren't what you think of as under arrest, you could still be in custody, even if you're not physically in custody, like if you have pressure not to leave, etc. cetera. And then the second situation is there has to be an interrogation. But of course, there's a little bit of debate about what constitutes an interrogation. Um, and you can read more about that in Laura's article, which we'll read below. But these are sort of the two big requirements. And under Miranda, as soon as someone requests an attorney, any interrogation that might have started has to end. And so this case, Vega v. Tico, in, in this case, SCOTUS ruled that a person cannot sue a police officer under federal civil rights laws for violating their Miranda rights, their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination by failing to provide a Miranda warning. And the, the official holding was that a violation of the Miranda rules does not provide a basis of, for a Section 1983 claim. And if you wanna know more about that, check out our podcast from March 10th, which is called How to Enforce Civil Rights, uh, where I think Laura talks about what 1983 claims are. Let's get into the facts of Vega. So in this case, the title defendant, Vega, is, um, is an LA County deputy, Carlos Vega. And the plaintiff is a Terrence Tico, who was working as a certified nursing assistant at an LA medical center. And a female patient at work accused Tico of sexually assaulting her, and the hospital reported the accusation to the police, and Deputy Vega was the one who responded. And so Vega questioned Tico at length in the hospital, and Tico eventually provided a written statement apologizing for inappropriately touching the patient's genitals. But Vega never informed Tico of his Miranda rights at any point. What the parties do dispute was whether Vega used coercive investigatory techniques. And these are these are all words that are big buzzwords in the Miranda line of precedent. Right. Coercion. Right. But the, the Ninth Circuit, which, again, you know, governs California, had held that the use of an un statement, as here, against a defendant in a criminal proceeding does violate the Fifth Amendment and that it may support a Section 1983 claim against that officer who obtained the statement, Um, which is not super surprising because, like, the Ninth Circuit tends to be pretty liberal, you know, and generally in protecting criminal defendants' rights. So Tico the worker, the hospital worker, he eventually provided a written statement apologizing for inappropriately touching the patient's general's right. And he was prosecuted for unlawful sexual penetration. And his written statement was admitted against him at trial. There's actually a ton of back and forth that happened in the trial courts about the admissibility of evidence under Miranda itself. There was also a ton of procedural back and forth too. There was like a mistrial. There was a second trial and to be fair, both trials in both trials, the judges refused to exclude the un statement. But there's a lot of procedural stuff that we don't get into uh, that we don't need to get into. But basically, the second trial resulted in an acquittal. And I, I, I have to note this because like, Tico was actually not found guilty. So the question here isn't really implicating his incarceration in the sense that it's not like a habeas case, right? We'll often see that happen when a defendant is found guilty. He'll then, you know, he'll be in prison and file a habeas case, which, of course, is like think back to Shawshank Redemption, right? Like you're, you're like in prison and you're trying to fight your case, right? <laughs> so when a defendant is found guilty, he'll often find file a habeas case saying, oh, well, I would have been found not guilty if this statement wasn't used against me as evidence at trial. And it shouldn't have been used against me because I wasn't properly Mirandized. And under Miranda, it should have been thrown out. And so there was definitely all that discussion during the trial proceedings. But ultimately, it's sort of moot because he wasn't even found guilty. What we're dealing with instead here in this case, before SCOTUS, is Section 1983 claims. So Section 1983 provides a cause of action against any person acting under color of state law who subjects or causes a person to be subject to the deprivation of any rights, privileges, or immunities secured by the Constitution and laws. And that, the, that last part is important, as we'll see later on here. So the question the Supreme Court had to decide is, like, does a violation of Miranda rights provide a basis for a claim under 1983? And they held that it doesn't. They basically said if a Miranda violation were tantamount to a violation of the Fifth Amendment, it would have been different. But they said Miranda did not hold that a violation of the rules that it established necessarily constitute a violation of the Fifth Amendment. And if that sounds confusing, it's because the court basically, <laughs> like, if you read Miranda, and, and I highly recommend reading it, it's it's not, it doesn't necessarily establish that you have to do, like, any particular thing. When you guys um hear, like, cops reading your Miranda rights, it's like, a, it sounds like a script But, like, the court didn't establish any one given script, right? Like, they sort of left it to different police jurisdictions to establish what would be a compliance script. So, like, the Miranda Court itself said pretty clearly that the Constitution didn't require adherence to any particular solution for the inherent compulsions of interrogation process, and that it didn't create a constitutional straitjacket, as it said. Instead, it was sort of aimed to be prophylactic, and, oh my gosh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this on the podcast, but we learned a lot about, like, prophylactic law in law school, and I didn't know that it had a non-legal meaning until after oh, law school. Oh, for God's school. sake. Okay. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, no. I, I, think I, got, I feel like I gotta
2: clarify. We <laughs> no, gotta t- <laughs> it's not that, it's not that type of prophylactic. It
0: just means, like, erring on the side of caution, maybe? Yeah. Right? So, legally like more more broad than it needs to be to like be extra extra cautious like rules are extra broad so miranda sort of rests on this like pragmatism about what what is needed to stop the violation of fifth amendment rights and it's like a prophylactic purpose that's served by these sort of rules like this sort of script so the court basically said that this prophylactic purpose that's served by the suppression of statements at trials Like, doesn't this purpose isn't being served by allowing a 1983 claim for damages. It would have little additional deterrent value, basically, to stop cops. Um, And it's also said that permitting such claims would cause many problems. It didn't really say, like, what problems it would cause. It didn't really say, like, why it wouldn't have a deterrent value. I find that sort of hard to believe. Like, I feel like if police know that they can be sued, Under 1983 for violating someone's Miranda rights, it seems to be like it would incentivize them to not violate them. Right. But I don't know. That's what the court said. And so basically they were like they reversed it. Right. They said the Constitution itself doesn't allow support for 1983 claim based on the Fifth Amendment. Now, what could happen, the court did say, is that like. Because the 1983 statute says it's not only deprivation of rights under the Constitution, it's a deprivation of rights under the law that can be a basis of a 1983 claim. It could be argued that Miranda rules constitute federal law, and Tico could have maybe sued under that theory. But Tico, as a plaintiff, would have to convince the court of this. So for now, for now, he doesn't get anything.
2: It's an interesting case because, yeah, the obviously the Miranda rights have not gone away. You still have all of those rights. You still have to be informed of all of those rights, but yeah, we've taken away this this civil claim. And and yes, if you are not Mirandaized and a statement is made, it's still not admissible at trial. But where I think it could get interesting is what if a person's case doesn't go to trial or the government mm-hmm. doesn't use that statement, then. I don't know. The Supreme Court seems to be saying, well, no harm, no foul then. But this person's rights were still violated because they were not were not given their protection against self-incrimination and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's I think it's a little more complicated than the majority makes it sound.
1: Remember, keep your mouth shut. Yep. (laughs) Remember just to keep your mouth shut.
0: (laughs) Yeah, don't talk. Easy. <laughs> I mean, that's it's a great point, Laura, and that's why I was questioning why the Supreme Court said it had no deterrent effect, right? If you don't go to trial or if your evidence is already excluded, mm-hmm. like, you have no recourse. Anyway, yeah, keep your mouth shut, guys. Right. Just listen to Andy yeah. there. We don't give legal advice, <laughs> but, like, yep. Andy's not a lawyer, so he's allowed to say that. That's
2: true. That's very true.
1: What is next from the Chamber of Secrets, Laura?
0: I wanted
2: to talk about um, Biden versus Texas, which... People have probably also heard about this one. This is the Remain in Mexico case.
1: Aren't there like 45 cases yep. <laughs> named that?
2: It, it sure seems like it, yes. This, <laughs> this particular one has to do with the Migrant Protection Protocols rolled out by the Department of Homeland Security in 2018, better known as the Remain in Mexico program. Um, if you don't quite remember this, this was the policy from the Trump administration that required those seeking asylum to stay on the Mexican side of the southern border while their immigration applications were pending. And at the time, DHS basically said, well, it's either this or we detain you on the U.S. side. And we don't want that, do we? As I'm sure we all remember, overcrowding at border patrol facilities was also a major issue early on in the Trump administration.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
2: this left somewhere in the ballpark of 60,000 people waiting in what were effectively refugee camps right on the Mm -hmm. doorstep of the United States. And these encampments drew a lot of negative attention due to unsanitary living conditions. There were reports of sexual assault, kidnapping, torture. One camp across the border from Brownsville, Texas, grew to be nearly 3,000 people in 2019. And then we run into the COVID pandemic. And so the conditions that these people were put in were pretty awful. So it was really no surprise that the policy was challenged. In April 2019, a California federal district court issued a nationwide injunction, which I wish Joe was here to talk about nationwide <laughs> injunctions. Maybe we can link his blog about it. But it <laughs> uh, it prevented DHS from using these migrant protection protocols. Mm. And when it was appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, it was technically upheld, but the the panel there decided that it was too broad, and they narrowed it to only apply to California and Arizona. Meanwhile, it was then appealed to the Supreme Court... And in March of 2020, the Supreme Court issued our favorite thing, a shadow docket decision. If you're you're not sure about that or you want more information about the spooky shadow docket, we do have an episode about that as well. Season two. Season two. (laughs) (laughs) And and so that was a, a brief decision that basically said that DHS could continue this remain in Mexico policy until the court could issue a full decision on these legal challenges. And then you kind of get into the Biden administration where... President Biden entered office and wanted to end this program almost immediately and tried to do that, but the states of Texas and Missouri sued, and they argued that this policy was needed to deter this record number of migrants that they were seeing coming to the southern border. And the states argued that under federal immigration law, the Biden administration only had two choices. They could either detain people on the U.S. side until their asylum process was complete, or make them leave the U.S., until their asylum process is complete. And at the Supreme Court level, it's a insanely complicated case where the Supreme Court had to look at three different parts of the federal immigration statute that when you first look at them, they seem kind of in conflict with each other. Because one piece of it says that the federal government, quote, shall detain immigrants while their immigration proceeding is pending. Problem is, Congress has never allocated enough money for this to be done. So then we move on to this other provision that says the government, quote, may return migrants to the country from which they came, or the government may release people into the U.S. on a case-by-case basis for urgent humanitarian reasons. And we end up with an interesting group in the majority on this case. It was five to four, and the majority was Chief Justice Roberts, Justice Kavanaugh, and the three liberals, Sotomayor, Kagan, and now-retired Justice Breyer. And they basically focused on the provisions of this law that give the the government the option to either release or return people. And they essentially held that the administration has discretion to create its own policies. Basically, may means may. And Justice Roberts points out that requiring the government to remove people from the United States would have meant ordering the president to negotiate with the Mexican government, which is mm-hmm. a bit of an Article 2 problem. Generally... Article 2 of the Constitution grants the power over foreign policy to the executive branch, not the courts. During oral arguments in this case, Justice Breyer said, judges, this is above your pay grade. Stay out of it as much as you can. <laughs> and that's essentially what the majority decided.
1: Well, the question I always had about this one was the Migrant Protection Protocol. The Remain in the remain in Mexico policy was never enshrined in law.
2: Right. It gets a little bit into... <laughs> Joe's other favorite thing, the Administrative Procedures Act, where the the whole reason that it's this sort of thing of like, when can a new administration end the policies of a previous one and how? And so that's what happens now is now it's this is going to go back to the lower courts where they will determine whether the Biden administration properly terminated this policy. But the the states were arguing that the Biden administration couldn't just end it because they wanted to. Couldn't Because they, yeah, the states claimed that that would have been, that that ending of the policy would have violated federal immigration law. It's an exceedingly complicated case. <laughs> it's really strange. All of this to say that the the policy will actually remain in effect for a few weeks until it gets processed by the lower courts and the federal district court will have to lift its injunction that originally prevented the Biden administration from ending it. And then if Congress still can't come up with enough funding to, and I underline this, humanely detain people, the executive branch is going to have to come up with something new, which I have not seen anything detailed come out about this. I know the budget for the 2023 fiscal year requested something like 300 more Border Patrol agents, and more case processors. But is that going to be enough? Who knows?
1: Hey, Congress, the power of the purse rests with you.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yep. Uh. It's it's time for the world's greatest deliberative body to figure this issue out.
1: I've got the last interesting one <laughs> um, for, for this week. We'll wrap up part one here. This one definitely got overshadowed by the Dobbs opinion. This is another pretty big one in kind of the remaining portion of the country where it was hard to carry a gun in public. This case was New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin. New York is one of several states that they make people show, quote, proper cause to get a license to carry a handgun outside of their home. There are 41 states that are called shall issue states, which basically means if you comply with state law, they cannot restrict your ability to carry a concealed weapon. Um, And that goes for both states that issue permits for concealed carry and states that don't issue permits that just say you can carry a gun in public.
0: So what are the, then the may issue states? What are they, that distinction?
1: These states are California, New York, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware, and Maryland. So essentially New York makes you have a a reason for wanting to carry a gun in public. And basically, uh, sportsmen and target shooters and Second Amendment enthusiasts <laughs> or people who want to, say, carry a gun in their car, or bas- they, they sued. Uh, well, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association was at the front of this lawsuit, basically saying that there is no reason to restrict New Yorkers' rights to bear arms.
0: Or were they essentially arguing that making them give a reason... Violates our Second Amendment? Yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Clarence Thomas, who wrote the majority opinion in this case, this was a 6-3 opinion, broke down all along the predictable lines. Thomas wrote that the Second Amendment's right to bear arms is broad and must not be limited by officials' determinations of when and where people can carry. He wrote the quote, the money quote from Thomas here is, we know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise... Only after demonstrating to government officers some special need.
0: God, I hate that. (laughs) That's a kind of a good point. I hate to say
1: that well (laughs) people who are in favor of gun control and stuff one of the things they talk about is like you got to get a license to drive the the easy thomas just makes makes the rebuttal there that there is no there is no constitutional Mm -hmm. guaranteed right to drive and what thomas is saying is it builds off last major gun rights case that the court really took on was in 2008 uh, district of columbia v heller and that was established the right of individuals to Essentially, own guns in the home for self-defense, and so this is now essentially extending that right, which is you have the right to carry a gun with you.
0: Right, like so. Thomas sort of makes a good point there, but at the same time, it's not like every constitutional right isn't checked by other things like public safety and whatever. Like the First Amendment is not an unchecked right.
1: That is correct, and that leads me to the next, like the, you, <laughs> you're getting to the little to the to the twist here because. <laughs> Because Thomas did note that guns may still be banned in, quote, sensitive places. But he didn't identify what they might be and who can designate them. And so the New York legislature and the gov- governor of New York, uh, Kathy Hochul, she she called the legislature in already. Like, we're talking, this this is already passed and become law. The New York legislature passed a law that... It essentially responds to Justice Thomas. Um, We're going to have a blog post on this. We'll link to this blog post in our show notes. But this, this law is essentially responded to Clarence Thomas. They defined sensitive, quote, sensitive places in very extensive detail. Any government building, any place of worship, libraries, public playgrounds, public parks, zoos, buildings and grounds of any educational institution, any conveyance or vehicle used for public transit, as well as all public transit terminals any establishment license for alcohol consumption, Uh, any place used for performing arts, entertainment, or sporting events, any gathering of individuals who are expressing their, quote, constitutional rights to protest or assemble, any place being used as a polling place. Also, a separate line item, all of Times Square.
0: This is just going to be challenged. And then the Supreme Court is going to more narrowly define sensitive places. That's just asking for a challenge.
1: Uh, Yes. Republicans in the New York legislature that this was happening is unconstitutional already. And so this is basically for the Supreme Court to decide again, probably um Mm -hmm.
0: next term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably.
1: So it's also sparked some in the other proper cause states, uh, May issue states. California is, has amended its existing law to require uh, applicants for concealed carry to be at least 21 and have not threatened or committed any violent acts requiring training course uh, and providing three character references.
0: That's like the more extensive than bar exam requirements. No, it is not. I'm
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hawaii is discussing legislation similar to New York that would kind of like dramatically expand the list of sensitive places.
0: So for all intents and purposes, like, with this these states with these may issue states coming back and and so broadly defining sensitive places is it effectively the laws still stand the restrictions still stand i think it's the opposite
2: my my kind of takeaway of, from this was that it pretty much gives the nra and other concerned groups sort of a clean slate to challenge any gun regulations that they don't agree with because justice thomas basically told the courts that when they're looking at gun regulations they have to decide whether this regulation would have been acceptable in the 1700s when the second amendment
0: was passed no i just mean like i just mean like the the fact that these may issue states are reacting this way by issuing like this very broad sensitive place definition is it still allowing them to keep the laws they had on books this kind of loophole?
1: It's up to them to enforce it. And then Maryland has already told state law enforcement that they can no longer apply, quote, proper cause when determining who gets a concealed weapon. And the Massachusetts Attorney General did the same. And New Jersey did the same too. But the governor there has said that he intends to attempt to take steps like the New York legislature did. So I think the, um, the, uh, the battle is far from over. Yeah, the Supreme Court eventually is going to have to weigh in on those you know, we ban guns on-premises signs that people put indoors. Or if private if private businesses still have the right to do that, but that the government cannot restrict, like, broad classes of buildings that cannot, you know, like, if a private entertainment venue wants to allow guns in New York, but the legislature has said they can't, like, we're going to, probably more to come.
0: If, if we might start to see something similar to, like, um, like public forums that we see in First Amendment law where you can regulate it to some degree here, but not in certain public spaces or something.
1: Yeah. Like my favorite one was any gathering of individuals who are expressing their constitutional rights to protest or assemble. So so like, so like, the people who like to open carry protest mm-hmm. like to demonstrate their Second mm-hmm. and First Amendment rights. Yeah
0: can't right. ironically do that. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty good.
1: <laughs> you, right, exactly. I'm like, this is... <laughs> it's,
0: it's definitely a bold move on that one. Sounds like a lot of these cases are not quite done. We'll see about them next term. I
1: mean, that
2: is one important thing to keep in mind when it comes to Supreme Court decisions. Like, we think of Supreme Court decisions as being sort of the be-all, end-all on a certain issue, but that's not necessarily true. We're seeing a lot of overturning right now. That too. Yeah. The, sometimes the court will overturn itself, but we also can, a lot of this stuff can be impacted by new legislation, both at the federal and the state level. That's one thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, if you've, if you've got thoughts on a given thing, vote, especially in your state elections, because that's where a lot of the big change actually happens. And if you can't get enough of Supreme court, we'll be back next week with three more, Big cases from the 2021-22 term.
0: More SCOTUS party to continue next week. See you guys.
2: <laughs> and that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Find Laws, Don't Judge Me. Please subscribe to, rate, and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Check the show notes for related content. And if you'd like to contact us, send us an email at findlawpodcasts at thompsonreuters.com.
1: Keep it locked.
2: It's gonna be a party. Ain't no party <laughs> like a Supreme Court party, cause uh, you know what? I shouldn't have started that, cause I didn't have a way to finish it. never You were mind. trying to Liz Lemon it, weren't you? <laughs> I was, <laughs> cause a Supreme Court party messes with your constitutional rights. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. <laughs>